0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Happy Easter Sunday, everybody. Sorry to talk back. I know. You walk through a door of a building that we call church and suddenly everyone goes mute. Man, if you can't be happy today in this place celebrating the risen King Jesus, then I want to talk to you after the service is over. Because I've got some truth to share with you. So, God creates man in a garden. And uh, this might be like that one where Paul kept speaking so long that somebody fell out of a window. If you're done before I am just leave quietly that's all we ask. God creates man in a garden. He breathes life into him his his life his breath. With everything else he spoke it into existence but with man he forms him out of the dust and then he breathes the breath the the ruah of God into him and a man opens his eyes and is staring into the face of God his creator. And He walks with man and He talks with man. He fellowships with him and He meets with him. He puts him in a garden. It's beautiful. And He says to him, "He says, listen, this is all yours. And the earth beyond the garden, I give you dominion over everything. Go and subdue the earth. And He says, everything I've done here is good. And you can eat of anything that you want. Everything that I've created, it's all for you. But there's one tree, Adam. There's just one tree that you can't eat from. It's right there. It's in the center of the garden. He says, of that tree there, you're not to eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So... Like every kid whose father says, Don't touch, I believe there was just something in Adam that when he walked by that tree, he thought, Hmm, I wonder why. And along comes Satan, and he finds Eve. Alone And he says to her, he says, "Uh, Is it true? You guys can't eat anything? She says, No. We can we can eat everything. It's just this this one tree over here. We're not to eat or even touch of it, for in the day that we do we'll surely die. And the enemy knows he has his way in. Because for the first time, man's taken something God said and added his own opinion to it. Didn't stop with Eve, by the way. Not everybody in this room, but the people listening on podcasts, sometimes they're tempted to do that. And he says, well, that's not true. And he's lying, but he's not because there was something she said that wasn't true because she said we're not to touch it. And God never said don't touch. He said just don't eat. Don't touch is probably a good rule that we could put in ourselves, right? If you never touch it, you never end up eating it. But that's not what God said. That's what she said. And the devil comes along and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. There's something that God wants to keep from you. And it says that when he, he speaks, he lies because that's his native tongue. So, if that's true, then that means there was nothing that God wanted to keep from them that was worth having. And he says, no, 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 God doesn't want you to eat in it because He knows that the day that you eat of it, you'll become like Him. Problem. They were already like Him. Because they were created in His image and in His likeness. And they would never die. They ate of the tree of life. And as long as they ate of the tree of life, there was no such thing as death. They would live forever as God created and as God intended. And I just... At some point, the serpent brings her attention to the fruit, and this is just what I think. But I think he touched it. With his little tail, just flicking it up in the air, catching it. What's he saying? I've touched it, Eve. I didn't die. And if God was lying to you about that, what else might He be lying about? Then she saw that the fruit was pleasant to look at and good for eating. When did it become pleasant to look at and good to eat in her mind? The minute she doubted God. Because at some point she doubted Him or she would have never ate the fruit. Hands it to Eve. She's touching it now. Now the very thing that she's created in her own mind that God never said, this thing that she has created, this figment of her imagination, this God that she's created, man, God creates man in His own image and then man promptly returns the favor. And this figment of her imagination of God is now shattered because she's now touching the fruit and yet she realizes I haven't died. So the only next logical thing that could happen is take a bite. Not only that, but then there's the next step which is Find someone else to take a bite. You ever notice that most people that are caught in sin want someone else to be caught in sin with them? And sometimes they don't even know they're caught in sin. Because at this point, Eve doesn't realize she's been caught in sin. She doesn't realize that she's been snared. She doesn't realize that with that one action, a plan has been set into motion. A series of events that would change the world forever with just one little bite. We never think of what could happen or the effect of just that little thing that we do in the moment because, in the moment, all we're thinking about is that little thing that's in our hand that we seem to want so badly. Had Eve been able to step back and see it through an eternal perspective and look through God's eyes and see the consequences of her decision, she probably would have never ate the fruit, but she couldn't. Because sin always blinds you to what it, what it, it brings with it. Because hidden inside of every fruit is a seed that reproduces after its own kind. And the enemy wasn't so concerned with just Eve. He wanted to get the seed into her so that it would reproduce after its own kind. Because up until that point, the only thing inside of them was life. And life, the tree of life, the fruit of the tree of life, reproduced life inside of them. And he couldn't stand that because he hated humanity. he wants to get that seed of death down inside of her so that it will start to reproduce. So she brings it to Adam. He eats too. And now sin enters the world. And man, who was supposed to live forever, Is now still able to eat from the tree of life. At this point, he could still go over to the tree of life and eat from it for another day, ensuring that he wouldn't die. But it would mean living forever in a state of sin. And suddenly, because sin didn't change God, Here comes God walking in the garden like He always did. He's not afraid of your sin. He hates sin because of what it does to you, but He loves you in the middle of it. He's not repulsed by your sin. He's not afraid of your sin because there's no fear in Him. And so what does He do? The same thing He always does. He comes walking in the garden to spend time with the ones he loves. What's he saying by doing that? He's saying that nothing you do will change me. Nothing you do will ever change me. But it'll change you. It could be important. Hopefully it's an iPhone, and then when you, when you pick it up, you look at it, and on the back, there's a little fruit with a bite taken out of it. And it's a <laughs> sermon illustration. Isn't that perfect? Call called a Mac. And so, God comes walking in the garden, and He sees something, it's actually what he doesn't see that really disturbs him, because for the first time, Adam is not coming to him like he always did. For the first time ever in the history of humanity, the created is hiding from the Creator behind a tree that the one who he's hiding from spoke into existence. Sin will make you do silly, silly things. It seems so cunning at the moment. It seems so brilliant. I'll just hide behind this tree. Think about it, Adam. You're hiding behind a tree from the one who spoke and that tree came into existence. Probably not a good hiding spot. But not only that, but he said wait a minute, I'm naked. I'm I'm naked? I'm naked? You're naked. Their eyes were open to their nakedness and they felt ashamed because for the very first time, they were conscious of themselves. You were never meant to be conscious of self. You were not meant to be self-conscious. You were meant to be God-conscious. And as long as Adam was fixed on the Father, he didn't even realize he was naked and there was no such thing as shame. Shame entered the world with sin, which means it leaves the world with the death of Christ. Because everything that came with sin is defeated at the cross. You are never to walk another day of shame in your life because it wasn't there before the first Adam sinned. It's not supposed to be there after the second Adam dies and was raised to life. I promise you. So they decide well, if we're going to go into the presence of the Holy God, we can't go out there naked. So they take leaves from the tree that He spoke into existence. And they fashion coverings for themselves. Yet even with coverings fashioned for themselves, when the Father walks into the garden, man knows in his heart that the covering I have is not good enough to approach a Holy God. It looked good to the other human. It was good enough to stand in Eve's presence and for Eve to stand in Adam's presence. But it wasn't good enough to stand in his. So they're hiding. We can try to cover our sin. Man's good at creating... Inventing using fig leaves, things that look good in front of other people, religion, excuses, false gods, fig leaves. But in our heart, we understand that nothing that I did will cover what I've done. So they're hiding. And I think that's what broke the Father's heart most of all, was that for the first time, His creation didn't want to be with Him. Not that they didn't want to be with Him, they felt they couldn't be with Him because of what they'd done. That's what sin does. It brings you to a place with a promise, and then once you're there, it becomes an accusation. There's a promise of something good. And the second that the something good is realized, it turns into an accusation and says, Aha! How could you? How can you call yourself? What will people think? What does God think? How can you? And it's all of a sudden there's this accusation. That was never supposed to be there. The enemy was never supposed to have a voice in your life, in my life. He was never supposed to speak into our lives a a word of accusation because we were intended from the beginning to be spotless, blameless, upright, and above reproach. And if those things came in with the fall, then I promise you, they're restored at the cross. Now to him who is able to present you to the Father or before the Father, holy, blameless, upright and above reproach. And so God looks and sees that his creation is hiding from him, and he says. I cannot stand this, I can't stand that they don't dare to come into my sight, that they don't dare to come into my presence, I want to be with them. Didn't change him. He didn't look at them and say, how could I ever be with them again now that they've done this? That's the enemy's lie. That's not the voice of the Father. He never changed And he says, Adam, where are you? When angels ask questions, when God asks questions, when Jesus asks questions, it's not because he's searching for an answer, it's because he wants the answer to come out of your mouth to teach you something. He wanted Adam to realize, I'm hiding from my Creator. And so Adam and Eve slowly slink into his presence. I should have made it bigger. It moves when I walk. (laughs) Ashamed. We laugh now because we know the end of the story, but I promise it wasn't funny at the time. And God realizes, oh my gosh. They've done the thing I've asked them not to do. And now they don't dare to come in front of me because even they know that their own covering isn't good enough. I have to fix this. I have to fix this now and I have to fix this for eternity because I want to be with them forever. So for the first time, innocent blood is shed to cover the sin of the sinner. And it says he took animal skins and he fashioned them a covering and he clothed them with a covering. What was he saying? He was saying, listen to me. The thing that you've done to cover your sin will never give you the confidence to come before me like I want you to. So I'll make you a covering so that every time you look down, you're reminded that what covers your shame, what covers your sin is good enough because it wasn't formed by the hands of a man. It was formed by the hands of a loving God. And I'm going to cover you. Because I don't ever want another day to go by where when I walk into the garden looking for you, you are afraid or ashamed or hide. you can find it all right there in the beginning of the Bible. You can see the redemptive heart of God. You can see the rebellious heart of man. And you can see that sin changes man, but it doesn't change God. He says, what what is this thing you've done? Adam, for the first time, and probably not the last time, points the finger at everybody but himself. It's the woman that you gave me. Because remember, he's now self conscious. And what came with self consciousness was the need to self defend. It can't be my fault. It's your fault or her fault. It's both of your fault. Because you made her and she made me. It's pretty much what Adam says. He looks at the enemy and he says, there's going to be consequences for you because of this thing that you've done. From now on, you're going to creep on your belly and eat dust. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. That's why women hate snakes. Maybe. He says, and there's, there's one coming. He'll be born the seed of a woman. He'll bruise His heel. But He's going to crush your head. So years go by, and the devil's always looking for this one who's going to crush his head. Because if there's one thing he knows, it's this. When God speaks, it's truth. But he thinks, wait a minute. I heard God tell them not to do the thing that I got them to do. I've already won once against man all I have to do, because He said this one who's coming will be born of a woman, all I have to do is defeat Him like I defeated them, and I win forever. And He's so arrogant. He's so prideful. Remember it says that from the beginning, He was prideful. Pride was found within His heart. It's what caused Him to turn. And in His pride, He thinks, I'm smarter than God. And when that one comes who He promised, I will put every bit of my effort and focus into making sure that I beat Him just like I beat them. And once I do, all of this will be mine forever. So He's waiting and watching. Like Tom's taught us in his Bible study, if you follow the course of history... You see that when a young male child from the Jewish people was raised up and the favor of God was upon his life and he was a leader of God's people, the enemy always came against him. You think it's a coincidence that he tried to kill Moses by killing every single male child. That he tried to kill David by having an evil king try to take his life or that he tried to kill Jesus by killing every male child. Not a coincidence. It's him thinking if I can just destroy him before he destroys me, I win. And so he's looking and he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he can't see the future. That's why he can't talk to you about your future. He knows one future and it's his. That's it. That's all he knows is one future and it's his. And he is the only one who's absolutely, truly hopeless but to try to convince you of your future that you share the same end as He does because He can't stand for you to walk in what Jesus paid for you to walk in. And so what He'll do is He'll constantly talk to you about your past to try to convince you that you have the same future as He does. Why? Same reason Eve brought the fruit to Adam. Misery just loves company. And so Jesus is born... And he kind of knows now, because for the first time ever, the angels announce that the Messiah has been born. So he's just waiting and watching, convinced that when the time's right, I'll get him. I got the first Adam. I'll get the second Adam. So his first plan is, well, let's just kill all the baby boys in the kingdom of Israel and then he'll never get a chance. But it didn't work. And so he waits and watches. And Jesus grows up and grows in... The fear and the knowledge of the Lord grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. And people say, well, well we, don't, we, don't, he, he, you know, we only have three years recorded besides a little bit of his childhood. We have no idea what he did. I can tell you what he did. He did the same thing he asked me and you to do. He honored his father and his mother. He worked. The, the New Testament tells us if a man doesn't provide for himself, he's worse than an unbeliever. I promise you, He worked. He provided, put his hands to something. He grew in intimacy with the Father. He studied and memorized the scriptures. He taught. He read scripture in the temple. He did all these things like a normal Jewish boy, a normal Jewish young man. And then the day comes that I believe the Father was waiting for since before creation began, this day where he would actually set the plan into motion. And Jesus would begin his ministry here on earth. And he brings him down into the water. Now, remember, every bit of this week, when you read through it, and we're going to talk about a few things, there's so much parallel to the garden. Right? It's the reason why Simon kissed Jesus put his lips on Jesus to show the Pharisees who Jesus was. They didn't need Simon to put his mouth on Jesus to know who Jesus was. They tried to push him off a cliff a few days before. They knew who Jesus was. They'd been plotting to kill him his whole life. They questioned him at every turn. They tried to trap him with their intelligence. Good teacher, tell us. They brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to him and thought for sure he will do what, what he's supposed to do and will kill her, and that'll be justifiable. And they they just at every turn were opposing him and questioning him and trying to trick him. They knew who if there was one person they knew who he was, it was Jesus. Why on earth did they pay a man to go put his lips on Jesus in a garden and betray him? Because God is undoing everything that was done by the first Adam with the second Adam. And because what was done in the garden the first time was God the first Adam put his lips on fruit and betrayed the Father, betrayed God. He's reacting that in the garden of Gethsemane as once again, man puts his lips on fruit, Jesus, the first fruit of God. Who hangs upon a tree, cursed is any man who hangs upon a tree. So once again man puts his lips on some on a on fruit that was hanging on a, that was gonna hang on a tree and betrays God in a garden because he's undoing everything that was done. Everything. And I believe the Father's in heaven smiling, watching. Because the enemy has no idea, because the Bible tells us if they would have known what they were doing, they would have never killed him. And so, in the garden, the last voice that Eve, Eve hears before she hears the enemy is, that's recorded, is the father saying, Don't eat of it. Don't eat of that fruit. Her husband would have told her, but she was there already inside of him. He pulled woman from the man, he didn't make an Separate creation. He took from the one that was already created. So Eve was already in there inside of Adam. He just reached in pulled her out from His side and established her. The next voice she hears is the voice of the enemy saying, did God really say it? And so here's Jesus. He comes and John the Baptist looks at Him and John declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes to him and says, I must be baptized by you. And John says, it's not right for me, to be bat- for me to baptize you. You ought to baptize me. And Jesus said, it is right that this is done. What was he saying? I have to do everything I'm going to ask those who follow me to do. I'm never going to ask them to do something that I wasn't willing to do first. So he's baptized by John. He comes up out of the water and the dove descends down upon him. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And he is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. The, and and as, before he does, the voice of God once again speaks from heaven to a man, Jesus, the man, son of man. And says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he gets taken away by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. And the very next voice that's recorded is the voice of the enemy coming to question the very thing that was spoken by the Father. It's not original. He's not original. Don't be surprised if when God speaks to you, the very next voice that you hear is the voice of the enemy saying, did did he really say? Or if you really... It's that little accusatory trick. It's not, he's not original. So he comes to Jesus, and the very thing that God has just spoke over Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? He's saying, I don't believe him, and I don't think you believe him, and we're going to find out. And this has worked in the past. It'll work with you. I just got to find the thing that makes it worth it. Because everybody's got a price. He believes the same thing about you. Or you may beat him here. He may leave that alone, but he's going to pop up with that. And when you beat him there, he'll leave that alone. He'll pop up with this. Why? Because he's convinced that you have a price. He's convinced there's something he can offer you that will make you take the bait, eat the fruit, and get that seed inside of you so that it can reproduce. That's all he wants to do. To say, well, the devil's favorite trick, he has no favorite trick. He just wants you to sin. It doesn't matter to him how. So he comes to Jesus and he says, If you're the Son of God, you're hungry, tell these stones to be turned to bread. He said, It is written. He could have just said a new word and it would have became the Word because He is the Word. So whatever He said was the Word. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. But He doesn't. Why? Because if He does that, then we don't have a way that we can defeat the enemy with the exact same thing that He defeated the enemy. But instead, He takes what's already been written turns it on the enemy and destroys his argument and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. And in doing that, he showed us, how do you defeat the enemy? You take his lie, you find the truth in the word that counteracts it, and you speak God's truth, and it silences the voice of the enemy. You can do that in every single situation that you find yourself in. Why? Because He says that He is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can withstand, but with every temptation provides a way out that you may withstand and escape. What did Jesus say? I could listen to you and I could reason with you and and I could defeat you with my own reasoning, but I want to give those who are going to follow me a way that they can do it. And every one of them are going to have the written Word of God. So, Jesus defeats him three times there and says, and the enemy left him alone for an opportune time. Meaning what? He realized, you know what? Right now, he's just coming off a 40-day fast. I thought he was weak. He's not that weak. He's actually really strong. Why? Because when we are weak in our weakness, he is strong. When our flesh is weak, God is strong within us. He didn't understand 40 days without food meant that he had food that the devil knew nothing of. And he was ready. So he leaves him alone, kind of. He always uses people. And they badger and pester Jesus. They question him. They want to kill him. And it's so crazy some of the things they want to kill him over. He heals a man. It says, and the Pharisees, when they heard of this, plotted that they could could kill Jesus. Don't be surprised when you do something that the Father has told you to do that the Bible tells us that believers should do and religious leaders of the day plot against you. Because it didn't stop with them. And so Jesus comes and he lives his life. He calls his disciples. He teaches them, he performs miracles. Shows us what it looks like for a man to walk led, filled and anointed by the Holy Spirit in obedience to the Father. Demonstrates perfect love to us. Demonstrates what it is to deny himself. He made himself of no reputation. emptied himself of his deity. Thought equality with God, not something to be grasped. Models for us what it looks like. And then he starts to come to the end. And he starts to tell them, it's time for me to to do what I came to do. And they all had kind of different ideas about what that looked like, even though Jesus was very clear to them what that was going to look like. He told them very clearly, there's a day coming, men will kill me. It's kind of plain. He says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to men and they will kill Him. But on the third day. But but they, they couldn't quite get their heads around it because they've heard all these stories about the Messiah who's coming, who will deliver them from bondage, who will be their ransomer, who will destroy the kingdom of this world. Which to them meant the Roman Empire that was oppressing them and and so they had these expectations of him, and so when it's time for him to come into the city because they think he's going to do what they want him to do, they're all excited, and they line the streets in what we call Palm sunday and they and they lay down their 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 coats and palm fronds in front of him, and he comes riding in on a donkey, and they say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. This same crowd, just a few days later, was stand before Pilate, because he didn't do what they said he was going to do, what they thought he was going to do. He didn't meet their expectations. He didn't destroy the Roman Empire. In fact, he was led in shackles and in chains. He looked weak. He didn't look like the conquering king. And the same crowd as as Pilate, who couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, stood before them and said, what shall I do with him? And the same crowd that just a few days before said, Hosanna, 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 blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, who thought so highly of Him that they actually laid their coats on the ground for His donkey to walk on. Would scream to Pilate, crucify Him, and let His blood be upon us and upon our children. And I love this. When God showed me this, this is. You guys have heard this before, but what they demanded in hate, the Father gave them in love. Crucify Him. Let His blood be upon us and upon our children. With hateful, murderous intent, they demanded, and the Father in love said, okay. Okay, I'll do it. So, they've killed Jesus. It, it bothers some people when you say that men killed Jesus because Jesus did say uh, in John chapter 10, verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And so people say, well, when no one really killed Jesus. He offered his life up. That's not what Jesus was saying, because the same Jesus said in the book of Mark, chapter 9, there's a day coming when the Son of Man will be handed over into the hands of men, and they will kill him. Jesus was real clear about that. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying uh, uh, something that they couldn't understand at the time. He was saying, listen... I can't be killed right now. It was true. He was perfect. And death entered through sin. He wasn't born through a man. He was born through the seed of a woman and the Holy Spirit. And the sin was passed from the Father to the next generation. And so He knew no sin. He was perfect. And as, as a perfect man who had no sin, he wasn't under the law of sin and death. So he was telling them, listen guys, you don't understand. Nobody can take my life down from me unless I lay it down and let them. What was he saying? This is what they couldn't understand and this was the mystery that was the gospel of Jesus Christ was this, that I'm going to become something I'm going to choose this thing. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say if there's any other way. What was he saying if there's any other way? He wasn't talking about crucifixion. It wasn't the cross. He was talking about becoming sin. He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup, let it pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was he saying? Father, I don't want to become sin. It's the only thing that we hate. It's the only thing we despise. I don't want to become that. Even for a minute. But if there's any other way, I'd rather do that. But. In his humanity, he had a will just like you and I do. And he surrendered it to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Father looked at him and said, I will. It's the only way. And that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He became sin. He became my sin. He became it. He took it and actually became it on my behalf. He took your sin and became it on your behalf so that you could become something. He didn't act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what he was saying to them and they couldn't understand it. He's saying, listen, unless I choose this thing, nobody can kill me. But I'm going to choose it because I'm going to love you more than I'm going to love myself. And I'm going to lay down my own life. Because later he would say, greater love has not a man than this. That he would lay down his own life for that of his friends. And what did he tell them before he left the earth? He said, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. What was he saying? I will allow my life to be laid down and I'll become sin so that it's possible for me to die. So that you can become righteous and you will never die. For those in Christ, though they sleep, they never die. Never die. For it's appointed once for man to die. Once. Once. One time. So now Jesus has been brought to the cross and they nailed Him to the cross and He looks out and all He can see are these people who hate Him. Who are gnashing their teeth at Him. Who want His clothing. Who make fun of Him, ridicule Him, beat Him. Spit on him. They punch him in his face and then say, Oh, you're a prophet? Well, tell us who punched you. Come on, they ripped his beard out. My wife plucks my eyebrows and I cry. Serious. Reduces me to tears. It hurts. They plucked his beard out, they beat him with a whip. Thirty-nine times. Why? Well, because they thought if they did it one more time, he'd die. And they didn't want him to die. They didn't understand. He couldn't die. He hadn't taken sin yet. They could have beat him until today. And they could still be beating him until he actually allowed himself to become sin. He couldn't die. So they shoved the thorns on his head. They put the cross on his back they tell him to carry his cross, tell another man to come help him. You get the cross up there, and and they decide, you know, we're not going to just tie his hands to the cross. They wanted to be as cruel as they could to this Jesus. They wanted him to back down at some point. Just say, okay, I'm really not the king of the Jews. Okay, I'm really not the son of God. Because they couldn't stand for him to be as good as he was in the presence of everything that he was enduring. Because every one of them knew that they would have snapped long ago. And when you watch somebody do something that you can't do, you don't root for them to do it. You want them to do what you would do so that you can feel better about yourself. And Jesus wouldn't bend. And so they bring Him up there and they put Him on the cross. They lay Him down and they don't tie Him like normal. That's what they would do. They didn't use nails. They tied your hands. They tied your wrists. They tied your feet Why? They tied you so that you would hang there so that eventually your weight would become too great for you to hold up and you would suffocate by not being able to lift yourself up to breathe. But they wanted Jesus to be able to lift Himself up and breathe. That's why they would break their knees if they were too strong. If people could push against the cross and lift themselves up and breathe, and they got tired of it and they wanted to go home, they'd just go break their legs. That way they couldn't push off anymore. They couldn't breathe. They suffocate and die. That's how people died in crucifixion. And they wanted Jesus to suffer as much as possible, so they put, his, they, they put His hands out on the wood and they took huge nails and they drove spikes through, through His hands, through His wrists. And then they put his feet down and they drove him right through his feet. Why? They wanted him to be able to push up for as long as possible. Why? They didn't want him to die. They wanted him to deny that he was the Son of God. They wanted him to cry out for mercy. They wanted him to fail and not do what he came to do. And they did everything possible on their end to make it easy for Him. They didn't understand who they were dealing with. And so, this is a beautiful picture. We talked about this at Communion. It says in Colossians that the record which was hostile against us was nailed to the cross with Him. These notes, which I haven't looked at yet today and I probably won't. <laughs> Picture that these are everything you've ever done wrong. Ever in your life. Every single thing. The record that was hostile against you. The accusation. The voice of the enemy. The if you were a Christian, how could you? You call yourself this. How could you do that? What would everyone think if they knew this? How could you think that God could love you when you've... It's all on here. Every bit of it. This is the record that was hostile against me. This is every one of those things that I've done. It says that it was nailed to the cross with Him. And what that means is that whether they could see it or not in the Spirit, when they put His wrist there, there was something between His wrist and that cross. It was the record that was hostile against you and against me. They put it there. And they put His wrist there. And then they drove a nail through His wrist into the paper. And that paper soaked up the blood of Jesus Christ. And that record that was hostile against you, the ink was blotted out and it dripped to the ground and it was gone forever. And mercy triumphed over judgment. And now when the enemy comes and he looks for the record that was hostile against you, when he opens it up, he sees nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ because it's covered every single one of your sins and it's washed away. I'm telling you, that's the Gospel. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians. It's not just a pretty picture that the record that was hostile against you was nailed to the cross with Jesus. No, it's not some metaphorical pretty picture thing. It means literally every single thing that you would ever do that the enemy could use to accuse you that was hostile against you was taken and it was slammed to that cross and they put his wrists there and they think they're being cruel and they don't understand that they're releasing the very thing which blots out the record that's hostile against me and hostile against you. And as that blood drips to the ground, that paper turns red and there's nothing left but the blood of Jesus Christ. So when the enemy comes looking for a way to accuse you, and he opens it up and he looks at it, it's just the blood of Jesus. That's all that's there. That's it. Death, where's your sting? Sin, where's your shame? That's what was happening. And they had no idea. Because if they knew then what they know now, they never would have done what they did. Because as they think they're being cruel, they're releasing the one thing that can wash away my sin. It's the blood of Jesus. And then he becomes that sin. He becomes that sin and he actually is now capable of dying because death enters into man through sin. Sin is the power of death. And so now he's actually able to die. But one more thing before he does he looks out at the very ones who hated him who were so cruel to him. And he says, Father, forgive all of them. They just don't know what they're doing. Why? Because he was never in it for himself. He was always in it for the world. And he's looking out and think about this. We don't even want to live next to somebody who put their fence two feet onto our property. He's looking at people who slam nails through his wrist and saying, I want to spend eternity with them. God, don't let this keep us apart. That's love. So he gives up the ghost. That Ruah, that breath of God, that Holy Spirit. He gives it up. And he dies. And for a short period of time, I think the... Demons celebrated. But I think in the back of their mind they realized, wait a minute. Because the sky turned dark, the earth quaked, the veil was torn, and the dead rose up and walked around out of their graves. I don't know what to do with that, but it's in there. (laughs) Visited their family members. (laughs) Don't Don't pass over things just because you don't understand them. Just know that it's in there and ask God if it means anything to you, what you need to know. So, he's dead, swallowed by death, right? It became sin. But Isaiah said in chapter... I think it's 53, but I know it's it's the book of Isaiah. says, He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited that He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Can you imagine the horror... When death tried to swallow him, thinking like it does with every other person, it was going to consume him and take him. And his mouth opened. And he began swallowing death. It's in your Bible. It says he will swallow death. And suddenly the enemy realized, Oh no. What have we done? He went to Hades and he loosed the captives and got the keys of death and then he comes back and like everybody else, he has to be born again. This is the beautiful part. I'm just going to close off with this. It says that the tomb stone was rolled away, and Jesus couldn't be held. And the disciples, who should have known what was going on but didn't, are all gathered in fear. But a woman, actually a few of them, are like, We're going to, we're, we got to go see him. I don't care if it's just his tomb. I got to be near him. I can't stay away from him. I have to be near him. I don't care if it's just the tomb. I'm going down there where he is. And it says the women went down and they looked inside and the tombstone was rolled away and it was empty. And they ran back and told the disciples, They said, He's not there. But this is what they didn't understand. They didn't understand what was going on because they said, Someone came and stole his body. And Peter and John, in John's Gospel, says they, they ran to the tomb, and it, John lets us know, because he's the one writing the Gospel, that he won. Look, if two guys are running in the same place, they're racing, whether they know it or not. It says that John got there first, but it says he stopped outside and looked in to see. But Peter, when he arrived behind him, went straight into the tomb. You know, it's not the one who runs the fastest. It's not the one who knows the most. It's not the one who has the degree on the wall. It's the one who says, I don't care. I'm walking in there because that's where he was. He walks into the tomb. He sees the clothes. And then John, suddenly bold now that Peter's in there, walks in and looks for himself. It says, and they believed and left. What did they believe? Not that Jesus had been risen from the dead. They believed what Mary and the other women had said. Oh, you're right. Someone has stolen. We know that because it says in Mark's Gospel, they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus must raise from the dead. And so they leave, but Mary stays there. She's sad. She's devastated. She has to have this Jesus. This Mary, the Bible tells us, was one whom Jesus had delivered from seven demons. She's had her life so radically changed by this man. She's been set free. She's been delivered from a horrible past. She's been set free by the one, by Jesus. And so she's just at the tomb. She doesn't know what to do. Her life is, in her opinion, what, shall, what can I do? I don't have him. I'm not just going to go back to life the way it was. So she just stays at the tomb staring in. It's okay if you don't know what to do sometimes. If you just say, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to look for Jesus. And suddenly, two angels appear and they begin speaking to her and they say, Who are you looking for? This isn't a cynical question. In another gospel, not Mark's, it says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Angels don't understand unbelief. They don't get it. They don't have a grid for unbelief because all they know is when God speaks, when God acts, when God does, it happens, they believe it. If the Father said it, it is settled for them. They don't have unbelief inside of them. So when you're there looking for Christ, He told you He was going to rise from the dead. Why are you here looking for someone who's alive amongst the dead? They don't get it. They don't... Understand unbelief. It's a genuine question, not sarcastic. You know, I love this. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put Him. At this time, she she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who's it you're looking for? Thinking He was the gardener. Imagine that. The first Adam, a gardener. The second Adam thinks he's a gardener. But check this out Who was the first person to touch and to see Jesus the first time he was born? It's a woman named Mary, a pure, undefiled virgin. She's the first person to see and to touch Jesus. Who's the second, first person to see Jesus when He's born again? It's a woman named Mary who once wasn't, but now is because of Jesus pure and undefiled. Why? It's not a coincidence. It's the Father's way of telling us, listen to me. I don't care what you've done. When I make you clean, you're the same as the person who was clean because they had never done it before. You're just as clean, Mary, as my mother Mary was. She was clean because she hadn't done. You were clean because of what I've done. And in my eyes, you're the same. You're not damaged goods. You're not second-hand. You're clean. Not crazy. It's all in there. She grabs a hold of him. He says, you can't cling to me. I still have to go. I have some things I have to take care of in heaven. Go tell my brothers. And some of the Gospels tell us, he said, go tell my brothers and Peter that I'm going to go to Galilee and I'm going to meet them there. And I've always, it always stuck out to me until a while ago when God showed me why. Why did he say, tell my brothers and Peter? His real natural brothers weren't among them. In fact, his original family didn't actually believe that he was who he said he was until quite a while after the resurrection. So it wasn't like he said, tell my brothers, my real brothers, and Peter, because he's not actually my brother, that I'm going to go to Galilee and go ahead and I'm going to meet them there. No, no, he said, tell my brothers, tell my disciples, tell my followers, depending on the Gospel that you're reading, and Peter. He purposely said, and Peter. Because Peter had denied Jesus three times just prior to that. And I believe that Jesus understood that like most of us, Peter would disqualify himself if he simply said, tell my brothers, because he knows what he's done and he thinks there's no way that Jesus could love me the way that he loved me before I betrayed him. So he wants to make sure that Peter understands, Peter, I haven't changed my mind about you. What you did doesn't change my mind. I still see you the same and I still want to be with you even though you denied me. Because sin doesn't change me. It changed you. But I believe, Peter, that you are who I said that you are. I believe, Peter, that you still are every word that I've spoke over your life. When I said that you're the rock, I still believe it. What you've done doesn't change my mind about you. It changes your mind about you. And that's why you have to have your mind renewed and listen to my truth, not your own mind, which accuses you. So go tell my brothers and Peter, go tell all the ones I love, I still want to be with them, even the one who betrayed me three times. Why did He put that in there? It's this simple. Because He wants you to understand that what you've done doesn't change His mind about you. It doesn't make Him love you less. It doesn't make Him not want to be with you. In fact, He wants you to understand, that's the reason I came. I'm not repelled by it. I'm attracted to it. I love to find brokenness because I am healing. I love to find sin because I'm the cure. I love to see death because I'm alive and I'm just looking for something to bring life to. So I just want to encourage everyone here. I want to challenge you with this. Listen to me. If Jesus was here right now, And he was going to meet, he would say, tell all my brothers and whoever in here right now is thinking that the things that they've done disqualified. Listen, I'm not saying that everybody in here is perfect. I'm saying that we are perfectly paid for by the blood of Jesus and that in the father's eyes, it's as if it never happened. He didn't look at Mary and say, oh, you can't touch me and I can't see you first because you're not pure and undefiled. You're not a virgin like the first Mary that touched me the first time I was born. He looks at her and he knows I made her clean. She's just as clean as my mother was. Why? Because not only does He take away the penalty of sin, not only does He cover the sin, but He also justifies us, just as if I never sinned. That's what it is to stand before Him justified. Not with a fig leaf that you've made of your own hands. Not with something you thought up on your own. Not with religion of man. Not with something that was formed and fashioned by human hands. But a sacrifice, a covering that was made by the Father that says, in my sight, you're perfect. And when you see you the way I see you, all that stuff, that'll go away. And even when you make a mistake, and even when you slip, even if you deliberately sin, Peter, even if you do it three times in a few hours, Peter, even if it's something you said you would never do or never do again, Peter, I'm still coming for you. I still love you. And I'm still enough. And I believe in you. Because I know who you are when you believe in me. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate today. It's not about bunnies and eggs. It's about a risen king who's alive, who's returning, and whoever lives to make intercession on our behalf before the Father. So I was just going to ask you this because I don't know everybody here. People, some of you guys are here for the very first time. Some of you guys are here just because it's Easter and that's what you do and that's awesome. We're glad you came here to do it here. But well, we don't ever want you to think it's about coming here and just hearing a story and people that know Jesus or people that believe in that Christianity thing get excited and shout and you stand there and say, okay, can we go eat dinner? Because it's not about that. Because He shed His blood not just for the ones who are excited and shout when I put my hand up there. He shed His blood for every single person in this room and every single person that would ever be. Because whether you believe it or not, you need a Savior. And deep inside the heart of every man we understand, I can't forgive myself for the things that I've done. And every one of us have done things that we need to be forgiven for. And you may have made fig leaves... And it may look fine in front of other people, but you know when you stand before a holy God that the covering that you made isn't good enough, but He made a covering that is. And it's the blood of Jesus. So right now, I'm just going to ask everyone not to, to not pay attention. And the reason why is because sometimes people honestly care about what the person next to them will think. And I'm just going to ask this. Real simply, it's not an emotional response. This is responding to the gospel. If God right now is turning your heart, if God right now is moving your heart, and you're saying, I need that. I need to be forgiven. I need that record that was hostile against me. I've heard that voice of the enemy one too many nights yapping in my ear and accusing me, and I want it gone. I would love nothing more for them when next time he goes to grab that record that he's so familiar with. See, listen, he knows what you've done because he knows your past. It's all he can talk to you about. And it's so familiar to him, he just goes, Oh, yeah, let me go torment him a little bit. Let me make sure that he realizes just how worthless he is. Let me go make sure that he realizes just how horrible he is. Let me sink him a little bit deeper into that pit so that he thinks there's no way out. What's the use? And he goes and grabs that record and it happens for every one of us that are born again for the first time to him. He grabs that record. He pulls it out. And he screams in terror as he realizes there's nothing there. There's no more sin. There's no more accusation. Because their story has now become his story. And they've actually received what he died for so long ago i so just going to ask this real quickly. If there's anybody here, and I'm not saying, listen, this is not about one time I said a prayer at a camp. That's awesome. If that, if that was your born-again experience, but I'm talking about actually, Jesus said that if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself then take up his cross and follow me. If you've never actually come to a place of realizing I need a Savior, then it can't be me. And you want to today Make Him the Lord of your life. And have that record hostile against you. Be forever sealed by the blood of Jesus. It's not a one-time raise your hand, go back to life as normal. I promise you, the Bible says, no man builds a tower unless first he count the cost. Otherwise, he'll get part way done and won't have enough to finish and everybody will ridicule him. I'm not talking about something where you do this so that one day when you die, you go to heaven. I'm talking about you're saying, I want to live like I've never lived before. I want to receive everything that he paid for. And you want to actually become a new creation in Christ. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. Behold, everything has passed. All things have been all things. All things have been made new. All things. If you want that today, right where you're sitting, we're just going to pray a, a simple prayer. And it's like every journey, it starts with the first step. The very first step of following Jesus for a lifetime is following Him with the first step, which is to surrender your life and make Him your Lord and receive what He paid for. Is there anybody here that wants to do that before we close up? If you do, just put your hand over. I can see it for a second. And we're just going to pray with you. And then we're going to dismiss. Yeah? It's okay. Yeah. Man, Listen. I promise you right now everything in the world is trying to keep you from doing what you're doing because it understands that like a crab climbing out of the pot it wants to keep you in there. But it can't keep you back. Is there anybody else where we pray with this brother here? Anybody? Awesome, man. It was worth it for you. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you. Thank you for anybody here that didn't have the the courage to raise their hand, God, but in their heart said that I wanted it. We just pray right now that you would come Meet them where they are, God. And that you would grip their heart. And that the day is coming, if not today, when they open their mouth and what's in their heart comes rushing out. And that with their heart they believe and with their mouth they they confess unto salvation. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood that was shed. God, but we thank you more than, than as much for that as for the empty tomb, the proof that you have no rival, you have no equal, and you're the King of all. We just thank you for what that means. We thank you, God, that your blood is upon us and upon our children, cleansing us of all unrighteousness, making us worthy and acceptable in the sight of the Father. We ask that you keep us with our faces toward you, and in love with you every single day for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.